0: Welcome to another edition of the Vine Resources podcast show. I'm absolutely delighted to have with me Matthew Dean on the line from the Managing Director from Cyberport. Matthew, thanks so much for joining me on the phone today. Yeah, sure, no problem. Matthew, for for our audience, if it's okay with you, I'd love to share a little bit about your company and organization, if that's okay. Yeah, of
1: course. So Cyberport is a German-based multi-channel retailer of... Mainstream electronics products, we have 14 stores throughout Germany and Austria, but we also have a very strong e-commerce web store where we're selling a wide variety of electronics products. We're especially uh, focused on IT products like notebooks, tablets, but also mobile phones, as well as uh, everything else that you need for your house, car, pets, and, and a variety of other electronic gadgets.
0: Fantastic. And your customers are mainly in Germany, or could be, or global? Um, they're all over Europe, but they're concentrated uh, in uh, German-speaking countries because our website is only in German. Fantastic. So Austria, the, the Swiss part of Germany, I imagine, and uh, the whole of Germany. Yeah, exactly right, exactly right. Fantastic. And look, can you share uh, with our listeners uh, what a typical day in your business looks like for you? Yeah, sure. So uh, we are... Uh spending a lot of
1: time, because uh, our company is really focused on providing really good recommendations for products, Uh, we're spending a lot of time adding content to our website about how do you choose between different products that we might be selling. So if you're looking for a business notebook, maybe we can tell you the difference between why you might want an Acer versus Lenovo versus HP. That we do through content directly, uh, but we also do a lot with training our uh, salespeople in-store. And and as a multi-channel retailer, we also do quite a bit over the phone. So we're spending a lot of time training our people because we need to provide customers better information and better recommendations. Uh, So a typical day for me personally is we go through a lot of our programs that we're doing to try to enhance the customer experience, uh, either on the website or in stores, and going through those and making sure
0: it makes sense and delivers kind of the right amount of value to our customers. Fantastic. And is that just with a, is that with an in inbuilt CMS, or are you using a certain type of uh, software?
1: Uh, we have our own proprietary software that we're using on the uh, on the phone front. Mm-hmm. Uh, online itself, uh, we have our own internal database of products. That we're using and then of course we use web-based, some web-based ones as well uh, to provide some information. I kind of asked the question, why do we have to put that in the background? Why can't we just give that directly to customers? And that's kind of one of our big projects is how do we get some of the internal information that we have uh, to be able to provide that directly to customers without having to feel obligated to call us
0: to get it. Yeah, hey, that's fantastic to hear. And can you name a, perhaps a person, you know, that's had a tremendous impact on you as a leader in the business. Perhaps someone who's even been a mentor to you.
1: Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sure. So, I think in my career, and, and I have you know quite a long career, um, I had uh, I had the opportunity of working with Michael Dell uh, in the '90s when we kind of established Dell Direct Marketing, which was our first uh, Dell's first foray into direct to consumer. At that time, it was mostly desktops, but PCs. Um, and uh, at that time, we had, when we were developing our, our marketing materials, he kept challenging us with why don't you go, why don't you find out what customers are calling us and asking us about when they buy a new computer? Why are we scared to go look at the information we already have? and then be able to provide better information to customers. And from that, kind of develop this whole program of, hey, you know, maybe it's a good idea that they call us and ask us questions. Um, Maybe we encourage them to call us and say, hey, I want to set up my first computer. How do I get on the internet? You know, this is 20 years ago, so this is a little bit different times. But uh, based on that, I've kind of always had in my the back of my mind you know, making sure customers were first and that we were able to really give a good experience to customers. And then throughout my career, later working eight and a half years at Amazon, they were also very customer-focused. I kind of still had Michael Bell's words kind of in, emblazoned in the back of my brain. How do I make sure that this is easier, better, more convenient, cheaper, <laughs> faster
0: for our customers? Hey, well, that's really great to hear and a great story from then and uh you know it's so true today even with the even with the changing market you know things changing so quickly i didn't know um exactly how many employees you've got in germany or if you've got teams in other countries yeah so um most of our employees are in germany so our warehouse is in germany we do have two stores
1: in uh in austria as well all the rest of our employees are in germany and that's around 650
0: so a great question for you following on from that with, you know, with 650 people, that's quite a lot of, lot of people to, to, to manage and influence in the company in terms of employee engagement. So in your company, how do you keep your employees engaged?
1: Uh, it's it's a good question. So in the end, I think it comes back to the, the age old way of communicating with people, and uh, and not just about what are you doing now and what are you you know how are you solving this problem, but a little bit more back to where are we going? What's what are kind of the goals of the company? What are the values of the company? I've I've been at a few places where they didn't really have any kind of really strong company values, and even what they did have, they didn't really live them all that well. I mean, how many companies have you heard of that say, hey, we treat customers? Customers are very important to us, and we're oriented around customers, and then don't really live it that way, They make decisions every day that go against what customers want. We at, at Cyberport, we're really focused on making sure our company values are lived throughout the system. We're, we rate each other on it, even on a 360 degree way. We have information about our our values in all of our meeting rooms. We have it internally published as well. Um, But then more importantly, I think there's, you know, one of our values has to do with openness and the fact that we're able to give our employees enough to give them the information about the direction we're headed. Uh, it's easy for uh, somebody that's that's running the company to kind of hold that information close to the best and not really give it. But what if you could have a much better strategy based on input that you're getting from your team? The only way you can get that is if you let them know, hey, this is the direction I think it's right for us to head, and then gather that information and be able to to modify it in a way that makes even better sense. Yeah, and that's a, I mean. That's 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 really where that engagement comes from. And then talk about when you you do change direction, the fact that you don't have to really explain it because you actually work with your team to come up with a new direction. It, It saves a lot of time and effort, and then you're probably going in a better, you probably have a better strategy because of it.
0: Matthew, what do you believe is the biggest challenge facing leaders today?
1: I think it does come back to trust in the end because I think, you know, most good leaders are kind of in the position they are because they were good problem solvers. Um, but the communication side, I, I think, can't be can't be underestimated. And in the end, I think you have you have this thought that if I share too much information, then they're going to take that information and give it to a competitor, or yeah. they're not going to know what to do with it. They're not going to be able to handle it. And I think it comes back to trust. I think you're trusting a lot of information to your employees. Why not use that back to you? It's it's the power of in our case, six hundred and fifty versus the power of one. And why not take that information and use it? I think I think the lack of trust is something that keeps
0: a lot of managers back from being able to go further in their careers. There's some great great bits of advice there. I think many companies can can listen to that and resonate with that. What do you what, what's probably so you might have mentioned it a bit earlier with Michael Dell there, but Maybe it's someone else, but what's the best piece of business advice you've ever received?
1: The very best one, you know, I can also go back to Dell days. We had a a big problem um, with a a, a notebook computer that we had that caught fire. So That was the bad part of it. (laughs) uh, And decided to go ahead and partner with some other companies to go build new notebooks. Um, And we had some different offers in place. And I had a boss at, at Dell, and his name was Tom Meredith. And uh, he said, "Come, come. to we have this meeting. We're going to come talk about which of these offers is best. He handed me these offers, and it was all, you know, we would just place our name on somebody else's, uh, on an on a OEM's notebook and change the colors and make it look a little bit more like Dell. And then we were going to launch that. That was our plan. But he had three different offers of three different computers. And he said, I want you to come back to me in a week with exactly what you recommend. And I thought, why would it take a week to analyze three different numbers? And, of course, it wasn't really just three numbers. It was actually what the configurations were and everything else. And so I took the information, and I went and analyzed, oh, well, I know this product is something from IBM ThinkPad. This product was coming from Compaq, and this uh, this, uh, computer came from HP. And I was able to actually analyze the market pricing, uh, the configurations themselves to see which ones were upgradable and which ones weren't and in the end came back with a recommendation that was kind of not necessarily the cheapest one. And as Tom Meredith, my manager, manager's manager at the time, said, yeah, this is why we take a look at this stuff because it isn't so obvious from just looking at the number, which is the right thing. You have to go look at the market conditions, the competitive situation, and then make your decision based off of that. And uh, I've never forgotten that to this day. Sometimes you just have to go the extra mile with the analysis to get a better decision.
0: How do you perhaps help your new employees understand the culture of your company when they, when they onboard with you?
1: Yeah, it's, it's all part of our onboarding process. So I think, it, you know, first thing you have to look at is, do you have an onboarding process or is it just go sit with this other person and then make it happen? This is ineffective, as I've found from many companies I've worked at. I think the best way is to have something structured. And new employees need that structure. Even if you say, hey, now we're a creative place, and we just like to let everything happen organically. Happening organically like that means it's going to take longer. And the longer you take to get somebody on board and productive, the less value you're getting out of that employee. So create a structure that makes sense. Modify that structure over time. Time. Make sure and evaluate whether it's worth it for you, the structure you've set up, and then, uh, and then fix it as you get feedback from each new employee.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's some great, great advice there. Do you, what, what's the one mistake that you see, uh, you witness leaders making more frequently than others, in your, in your opinion?
1: I think it's the short-term focus on profitability or anything else, but usually it's on profitability. It's like, how do we squeeze the numbers out to make this work? I've seen it happen with, hey, let's get inventory really low at the end of the quarter. And then it's like, well, but at the beginning of the quarter, then the availability of our products is terrible. Well, it's, it's a... Yeah, but I made the numbers look good for last quarter. Well, but now we have less revenue. Our customers are unhappy because we don't have the products available. It's it's this short term thinking that I think kills a lot of companies. And know uh, yeah, I've tried to make sure at, at Cyberport that we do not make that mistake. But it's it's hard to do because you know we're looking at the numbers on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. It's easy to make a decision that hurts us long term, but is
0: really good for us in the short term. Yep, yeah. You just have to. Avoid that as much as possible. And look, you know, you're, the industry—well, every industry is going through massive disruption at the moment. And you know, I, yeah. I'm just thinking of one it's kind of close to yours, but it's in a slightly different segment. But you know, the Toys R Us and the USA going, going, going yeah. under. You know, what do you see in, in your industry uh, as the biggest challenges? You know, over the next couple of years, and, and how how are you going to adapt to that? Do you think?
1: Well, I think. I think R Us is a great example. So this is a company that understood the internet, understood the, the comp- competitive nature of Amazon in the U.S. for their products, and uh, decided to expand their stores. So it was it, it didn't logically make sense. Why would they not have created a situation where they could have been more competitive with Amazon on on uh, in e-commerce? Yeah. And this is what I will never understand. And they were afraid of. Uh, the power that their store managers had as far as I've read, I mean, I, I'm not familiar directly with the situation at all, but I can tell you that in a lot of cases, these companies are afraid of going against their long-achieved successful business model that has worked for many, many years uh, and are, uh, on our, are afraid of going against that, and the reality is that is life. If you don't create that business model, somebody else will, and in this case, somebody else already has. Why not create that internal competition and let it work? I mean, it's, look at look at the example with with Netflix, where you know there were there was streaming and there was there was a physical uh, DVDs, and then in the end they kind of let both live until eventually the physical side kind of died off organically. But why wait until your whole company goes? Goes down first. That makes
0: no sense. I couldn't agree with you more, and I'm sure we could talk about that one for, for hours, and I'm sure that'll be a good test case in uh, universities for years to come. If you had your time again and you were starting off in, in your 20s, what advice would you give your 20 year old self in business?
1: Be fearless. Go and do a job that you don't think you can do, but maybe you think you might have skills for and learn something from it. You get you, you know I don't know how many times I hear the oh I have a bad manager I don't learn anything from him. If you have a bad manager then learn something from that. Learn something from the fact that your manager was terrible and what would you do differently and how would you do it? But in the end be be fearless. Go take a job that you don't think you that, that you think is above your pay grade. Go take a, go work for a company that you think is too smart for you and learn something. Your 20s are all about learning something new, taking that skill. And part of what you have to learn is how to communicate, how to work with different types of people. I think the other thing would be, don't be afraid of working with people that are just really different from you. Maybe they're introverts, you're an extrovert, and you can learn something from that. They notice things that you're not gonna notice as an extrovert. And uh, why not use that to your advantage? Now you can figure out how you can be their friend be, be able to be a real good business colleague with them. What do they need? It's different than what you need if you're an extrovert. And I think I think that 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 fear of the unknown kind of cripples so many people. And where I've seen successful people kind of go on to do bigger and better things is always when they try when they take a little bit of a risk with their career. Not all the time, but every once in a while. And I think it's I think it's important for everyone to do that.
0: Matthew, that was such great advice there. And look, thank you so much for sharing with that, uh, the, you know, that insight into your business and also your, you know, things that you've learned over the years. How can people, if they want to connect with you or your business or reach out to you, what's the best way of people connecting with you?
1: I think, um, so two ways, either on LinkedIn or on there's a German kind of professional social media site called Zing, X-I-N-G and uh, I'm on both and uh, people can connect me with me
0: on there fantastic well we know both of those and I'll add the links in on, on the show look thank you so much for joining me on the show and hope to speak to you again soon Yeah, no problem thanks <laughs>